welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. This is a show in which we like to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Tonight we're going to be discussing what's fast becoming the latest cultural phenomenon, cancel culture. Specifically, how we as Christians ought to respond to this dangerous move of canceling things we simply do not agree with. So here in the studio with me are my best ministry partners, uh, and I can't wait to introduce them to you. You probably know them by now. Lenius Pazito, welcome to the show again. Well, thank you, Dr. Harry Edwards. I get <laughs> uh, The first time I get to do that now, uh, live, thank which you. is very cool, because you just uh, were... Uh, defended your dissertation and, and granted your doctorate, so congratulations Thank to you. Thank you. I'm happy about that, yeah. but just call me Harry, all right? Okay, okay, right. okay. <laughs> and uh, tell us how, I mean, what happened to you recently? I mean, maybe well, some I've of been our a, listeners... I've been a, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm obviously a theater nut, so somebody told me go out and break a leg, and I did. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm recovering. I had a crash on my bicycle. I'm an avid cyclist, and I'm recovering from a fractured hip, so... Yeah. Okay. All right. And how is uh, the ministry coming along? Well, uh, obviously, I have a little bit more time to sit behind a computer, so I've been doing some writing and I did some videos and things like that. So things are going, things are are, are coming along in that regard. So yeah, but but healing quickly as well, and, and already back on a, a trainer and bike to get moving wow. and all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm so. surprised how fast you got on that bicycle again. Well, I'm yeah, amazed. it's just. It, 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 you either grow or you or you stagnate. So I'm I'm just worried about the latter. <laughs> <laughs> Got it, Jacob Daniel. Welcome to the show again, brother. Hey, good to be here. Let oh, me. Yeah. I have to say, you beat me on this. No one's gonna remember my name now. Huh. I'm the second guy on the landing on the moon, right? Yes, <laughs> who remembers the second man? <laughs> so, Doctor Harry Edwards, congratulations. Uh, yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Uh, it's been a journey, and uh, I've always thought that this was uh, something for the kingdom. You know, yeah. learned a lot actually, and uh, read lots of books and wrote mm. lots of words. <laughs> um, so, anyways, yeah. So we are going to be talking about uh, cancel culture, and I wanted to start this program by just telling you a little bit, um, a, a little story. It happened to me a couple weeks ago. So there I was in line. At the DMV, all right, and this is uh, in Fullerton, so it's Orange County. And uh, I was there and minding my own business when um, I noticed that this lady behind me was, you know, wanted to chat. So I like that. So we started chatting. We're waiting, right? And so I go, this is kind of cool. And she seemed really very friendly. Uh, and we're all, you know, trying to do this with our masks on, right? And then when uh, it came to – we started talking about culture stuff or what's happening around us. Obviously, you know, we had the mask on. I think when she noticed that I was more free in terms of my uh, – just taking off the mask because I couldn't breathe anymore and, and it was hard to have a conversation with the mask between us, she was relieved that I was of the thinking or the kind of person – that thought maybe that the lockdowns were a little bit too extreme. And so that led to one thing and, and then another, talked about politics. And uh, I remember when we were talking about politics, our tone was getting 
quieter and quieter. And mm. we were like, we had the, these furtive glances, you know, like, all mm. right, anybody might hear what we're talking about. Uh, so it, it didn't take very long before I realized that she was a conservative. And so we shared a lot of the same values. And then when she learned I was a Christian, because mm-hmm. I just mentioned church, you know, I, I got to insert the gospel in there somewhere, right, you know, when right. we're having conversations. So it didn't, it didn't take very long before that happened. And you could tell she was very excited. Mm. She was excited, but still guarded. Mm. And mind you, we're in Orange County, all right? And so... Uh, you know, I, of course, in, in, in the back of my mind, I was having this other conversation in my head, and I'm thinking, wow, it's sad. We're here, you know, 2021 in Orange County. Uh, for our listeners, if you don't know what Orange County is, I mean, that's like conservative part of Southern California. Lots of churches. A lot of people profess to be Christians there. Um, and yet, she wasn't sure anymore whether uh, her co- our conversation was polite or civil. And so we were like talking, you know, or at least she was mentioning uh, things in, in a very quiet manner. And uh, it dawned on me that we're now, really, this is post-Christian America. Yeah. So it, I mean, in, in her mind, she doesn't want to be ostracized. She didn't want to get canceled. So... That is the manner in which we talk in public now. So, anyways, that is my experience from a couple weeks ago, and um, it, it just made me think about where we are as a society nowadays. So, I, I know, uh, Jacob, you gave a talk on this very topic not too long ago, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, 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 we're using your talk as an outline here and, and just some talking points. So, I want to throw it back at you and go... All right. What what is cancel culture? Good. Uh, let me just point our listeners to this talk that I gave. Uh, it was given for the Center for Cultural Apologetics. So if anyone is interested to actually listen to it, they can go on YouTube and look for cancel culture and just write my name, Jacob Daniel. So defining cancel culture, how should we do that? I think uh, the the way to do it would be not to basically ask what it is, there might be many definitions in terms of what it is, but I think there can be a consensus in terms of what it does. That would be one of the ways to define it. Uh, but to simply define it, I would say that uh, it's a new referendum on how we're going to live our life together. That's what it is. Uh, the social ostracizing of individuals, groups, or businesses in order to publicly shame them by withdrawing any association or support. And there's something I want to add to that is that without the possibility of reinstating or restoring them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the shift that has happened. It's not that we haven't canceled things and people earlier, but we have come to a place where now we uh, concern not just by canceling people, but also leaving all possibilities of re- restoring them back uh, to their positions or back to society or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's how simply we can define it. But um, it it is also defined as a form of mob justice engineered on the foundation of what uh, one of the persons who was recently canceled, B- Barry Weiss from New York Times, mm. uh, 
who says that, uh, who calls it a mixture of postmodernism, postcolonialism, identity politics, neo-Marxist, critical race theory, intersectionality, and the therapeutic mentality. It's a combination of all this bringing about our culture to a place where we are prepared to decide on the basis of our emotions rather than on a collective notion of what is right and wrong. So, yeah, you mentioned emotions, how things are decided on that basis alone. And uh, I know there are others that will say, and I'm quoting or I'm, I'm referencing uh, D.A. Carson, who wrote a book uh, several years ago. What's the title of the book? It is uh, The Intolerance of Tolerance. And he makes the distinction between the old tolerance versus the new tolerance. And so I think what we're uh, – and Lenny, I want want you to chime in on this. What we're seeing is the difference between the old and the new is that in the old form of tolerance, it's like you got along even though you didn't – even though you disagreed with – certain things but you still got along but you knew that you guys had differences Mm -hmm. but you still got along in the new form of tolerance or in the cancel culture uh, whatever your personal feelings if they are offended you automatically stop any form of discussion and relationship yeah Right. Well, yeah, and and relationship goes uh, to your not merely that individual's relationship to you, but any relationship you may have. So that individual could go to your employer and try to sever your relationship with your employer. That individual could go to your school and try to either get you uh, expelled, uh, have your um, credentials maybe revoked, um, whatever the case may be. It it is it is to basically punish you for holding a position contrary to that in which an individual, and more usually, it's not necessarily that individualistic. Usually it is a group of individuals who have um, the imprimatur of um, society on their side, stating that this is the proper way to believe or behave. And that's I, I think that's kind of important, and that's that's what we see now. It's not that most of society holds that view, but it is that a very vocal and visible cadre, uh, maybe a very small segment, but they're vocal and visible, are advancing that view. They advance it as a moral dictum. And therefore, anyone who doesn't measure up to that moral dictum is, by definition, classified as immoral. Hmm. Therefore, worthy of being punished, penalized, dismissed, maybe even not even worthy to be counted as a human being, which is usually where this this goes. Because hmm. we say all humans have, well, he's he's not a human, he's a Nazi. Uh, our, our former president would be... You know, you, you've you seen this. Now, I'm not necessarily saying Trump was a virtuous person. I don't believe that. But what people did was they dehumanized him. They demonized him. Yeah, and, and, person. and not merely him, anyone who's ever worked for him, yeah. uh, his entire cabinet. If you were thir- three steps removed, if you were the second undersecretary to the whomever, 
you were still, oh, you, you can't. Or if you voted for him in 2016 and not in 2020, you were still. Yeah. So, so it became this kind of a thing. And, and that's, that's, that's a problem. And I don't think people realize just how small the contingent of individuals who make the loudest noise are that it can take one letter writer to Levi Strauss to get the company to say, oh, well, we, we disavow our association with this individual. Yeah, and I, I'll add this to uh, when we're comparing the olden ways of counseling and then the new ways in which we are now. Um, earlier, I think we, were, uh, we engaged more at the level of ideas. We canceled ideas, and we never equated ideas with the person per se. Mm-hmm. But in the new context, what we are doing is actually you are what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. so we we cancel people now. So what happens is that when you engage at the level of ideas, you uh, can't uh, basically engage at the level. When it, when we talk about justice, you know, it, it when we engage with people uh, with cancel culture, what we are doing is we are seeking retributive justice, retribution, right? But when we engage at the level of ideas, we could actually move from retributive justice to restorative justice because we are concerned with the individual as well. But in this new framework that we have, we are engaging with people at the level that we seek retributive justice without the idea of any restorative justice. Mm, Uh, And that's a major distinction that we have compared compared to where we were decades ago and where we are today. Uh, To me, it's a good distinction, and and that's a good reminder how we – we used to tolerate uh, people and ideas. Now we no longer tolerate people. Yeah, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, and it's it's true. You are what you think, and somehow you cannot disassociate yourself from your your ideas and, your arguments. And that yeah. was a biblical distinction, actually. This was a gift of the biblical worldview that was given, uh, adopted in the Western framework of justice, where we gave we. we presume the idea of innocence. That was our primary posture when it com- came to any issue, be it in the court or in, in, in civil uh, uh, existence that we had, right? But we are reversing that. Now it's the presumption of guilt. Right. You are guilty, yeah. right? And there is no space for us to actually dialogue or discourse or have any discourse or engage with each other. And we were talking about this a while ago. Uh, the, the very attitude that people have one is of uh, a presentist view where, uh, you know, justice has to be done now. Instant karma, mm-hmm. right, as I call it. It has to happen now. There is no time for us to actually engage at the level of ideas because we are now engaging with human beings at the level of emotions. Yeah, and you're corrupted by association the longer that you allow that to happen. Really, uh, cancel culture is a form of self-righteousness mm. that the individual is trying to exercise and, and, and basically lift themselves above another. That's that's the goal. The goal is to show, to demonstrate your righteousness to other people by canceling the one whom you feel is corrupt or evil or malign. And it, it so it's self-serving, ultimately. Uh, and that becomes a, a huge issue. Of course, there's a whole bunch of inherent contradictions in it as well. And that's a, you know, I... A good example, um, Greg Kokel tells the story of walking into a college classroom where he writes two sentences on the board. The first sentence is, one must be tolerant of others' religious beliefs. 
And he asks how many people agree with his sentence. And, of course, all the hands of the, of the students in the college go up. Yes. Mm. And then he writes the second sentence that says, Jewish people who don't believe in Christ are destined for hell. And he said, what do you think of that sense? Oh, that's evil. That's wrong. It's a, well, but that's my religious belief. Yeah. If you must be tolerant of all religious beliefs, and the second sentence is a religious belief, shouldn't you be tolerant of it? Hmm. And you see the inherent contradiction in the concept that tolerance, quote-unquote, plays. Because really, we're not talking about tolerance. And what cancel culture has done is it's brought this to the fore, and it's made people choose. And what they've chosen is to not be tolerant. Yeah. What cancel culture does is, I think, is it, it takes away the very platform for any discourse or yeah. engagement, rational engagement, right? Um, and uh, when it does that, what it does is actually it divides people even more. Absolutely. It, it's, it, does, right. it's, it doesn't provide uh, any basis to bring people together. Right. It disintegrates, divides people on the basis of uh, how many uh, differentiation that you can come up with. I know uh, the three of us, I think, we're familiar with Cynical Theories, a uh, book written by a secularist, actually, atheist. Uh, who spent his time debating Christians in yeah. schools and trying to knock their faith out. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we don't know their current uh, status in terms of their religious journey. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking more about Christianity now, or at least theism, but uh, Pluckrose is one of the authors. James and, Lindsay and, and Helen Jean- Pluckrose. There you go. Yeah. But in their book, um, I-, I love how they actually mention a lot of things that apologists ha- have been talking about for decades now, but uh, they they picked up on some of these things. Uh, what's interesting is they we all agree that uh, Long ago, the whole uh, talk and discussion of relativism, postmodernism, kind of died in the 90s or even earlier. But the church somehow picked it up, and and, 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 and it was a big thing. I know it was a big thing even for uh, apologists back then, but in, in the academy, apparently had died. And uh, it's true that we weren't talking about that until— recently when, again, the authors of Cynical Theories were saying somehow it got resuscitated again. Uh, it's a new uh, postmodern um, idea that has risen from the dead, I guess, and, and they're calling it just simply theories, I believe. But there, I, I know one of, the, one of the ideas that they talk about is the practical outcome of postmodernism. I think they might call it... Uh, um, practical postmodernism, and they highlight the idea that a lot of th- uh, these things that are going on in culture is undergirded by postmodernism. Mm-hmm. So it's back again, and that makes sense. Like you're saying, with uh, the idea that there is no objective truth, well, then it's really your opinion versus another person's mm-hmm. opinion. So how do you have civil? conversations when there's no standard by which you're measuring your ideas. Exactly. And this happened uh, in light of a lie which has been adopted even by people in the church that the secular world for some reason is neutral. Yeah. We have bought into this lie, this deception that there is a, a, we can keep our faith private. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we didn't realize that we actually... Um, contributed to this very yep. chaotic place where we are, where, where we agreed to removing all the platform for discussion. 
you can't talk about politics and religion in public square. Right. Why not? Those are the most important things right. to be right. We right. should it's be only engaging with each yeah. other a bit. And that's why we're very deficient as followers of Christ in those two areas, politics and religion. We don't even know our own faith because we don't apparently we don't talk about that around the dinner table, right? Right. Because <laughs> it's divisive. Oh, and, and, and treat it as something that is objectively true and knowable. Uh, in your original uh, opening, your your example at, at the Fullerton DMV, yeah. you know, think about this. We're now saying you're you're not having a clandestine meeting about where to buy drugs. Oh, you're you're you know yeah. in on that. I'm in on that too. Here, you know, <laughs> cannabis is. You know, they got billboards for it now, and yeah. they've got a DoorDash kind of version for it now, right? That that's. That's no problem. We can put radio ads on that, but it's church. Yeah, You're church. going to church. church. Yeah, that's that's the clandestine. That's the piece that's going to make others look at you yeah. cynically. Exactly. Where? What kind of a culture are we talking about? Something that instills a moral, you know, uh, rubric in the life of an individual, and it that's that's concerning. It it, it we are allowing the secular culture to shape our narrative in that sense. And uh, if something is objectively true, you know, if you can talk about why you believe the quarterback of your favorite football team isn't as good as the next guy and give all those, then you should simply also be able to believe why it makes sense that if God exists, Mm -hmm. things like um, mind-altering chemicals, opioids, whatever the case may be, uh, transgenderism is objectively wrong as well. And I think um, in the public square, this is where as Christians we should be thinking about that if we hesitate to speak what we must, we'll be forced to speak that we shouldn't. And I think even with your with this conversation that you have with this lady, it's not merely that there is this fear. I, I'm I'm not speaking for her, but I'm talking in general. The fear is not just uh, you know uh, what I would say. It's also that in our culture we are at a place where we are expected to say certain things. And if I won't say this, if I won't contribute to the social or cultural norm or the mood of the time, I would be predicted or I, I would be assumed as taking a position which is countercultural, yeah. mm. and that can be problematic as well so it's not just the compulsion compulsion of not saying something but also the compulsion of saying and trying expected to, yeah. of yeah. saying re- something being required to say something and, yeah. and we're not even talking about the thought police and, and things yeah. like that but I, I know before the show started we uh, agreed that uh, this is a, a prophetic hour for us that we need to Sound the alarm, but not in an alarmist sort of way, but in a, in a real way. And, and I know we're going to come up on a station break soon, and maybe we'll talk about this later. But uh, I listened to a podcast by Ed Raber, Raberchek. I think I'm mispronouncing his last name, but he's a professor at uh, Vanguard. And I like the metaphor he was using. Maybe today a lot of the uh, can- cancel culture events that we read in the paper here and there, they're all small things. And he likened it to a medieval uh, battle between two ships in the ocean. Maybe, you know, each of the ships are firing cannonball now because they're very inaccurate, very clumsy machines. 
a lot of times it it takes uh, you know several tries before they're aligning the cannons just right. But before that's happening, it, it the cannonballs are hitting the ocean, and what what the bo- what the ships are getting are, are ocean spray. You know, uh, but. It's true," he says. "Maybe right now we are experiencing the ocean spray coming from the mist, mist cannonballs. But uh, there will come a time when those cannonballs are going to hit the ships, and uh, we certainly don't want to get to that point. And uh, but it is alarming that you have people like him uh, making those kinds of metaphors. You know." So all of, all of these things, in fact, just in the news today, right, I, I, I tested my theory. I go, how prevalent is this going on right now? So I picked up today's newspaper, and on the front page, you have China canceling H&M, you know, just because the company H&M said something about uh, forced labor amongst the Uyghurs in, uh, mm. uh, you, you know, picking cotton and creating their right. clothes. So China right away took h&m uh, app from uh chinese uh, websites or chinese apps in china so and, and nike apparently is also on china's radar hmm. just because they're not going to be you know nike made a a statement about uh child labor and, and things like that so it, it's i mean i i bet you if i just ask you guys what's the latest you've heard who got recently canceled Dr. Seuss, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of those things I can't keep up. Uh, what's tell me the story about Potato, uh, Mr. Potato Head? What? Oh, sh- sure. Well, you know, he he uh, they're going to drop the Mr. from their packaging, oh. and and they they don't want to you know enforce it. And then of course we got the state of California who's who's trying to pass legislation banning boys and girls toy aisle labels that you have to uh, don't we don't want to make distinctions of what what are boys toys and girls this is what our legislators are occupying themselves with and, and the most concerning thing for me is um, as much as we are canceling products i think we are canceling the very uh, ideas and words that held meaning yeah it's a fight for definition it's a fight for dictionary we are canceling words. We are canceling meaning from those words. And that's where the fight is. Okay, I, I hear the music. And so we're coming up on a station break. So please stay tuned and we'll be right back after a few commercials. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. Just because an atheist group complains, it doesn't mean we have to cave into those complaints. This is Jim Garlow. 
And here's a perfect example. The University of Wisconsin and Iowa State University needlessly removed Bibles from their university guest rooms after complaints to university officials from an atheist group. This group said it violated the First Amendment. Not true. The First Amendment does not require them to remove something from campus just because it happens to be religious. In fact, the Constitution requires them to accommodate religion. Our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom sent letters to both universities this past February encouraging them to restore the Bibles to the guest room and not to surrender to the atheist group's unfounded legal threats and inaccurate demands. Universities, or anyone else for that matter, shouldn't be browbeaten into taking unnecessary and potentially unconstitutional actions. Learn more at jimgarlow.com. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. Who do you know who has set himself or herself against Jesus? What school or business? What organization? In John 18, when the Roman soldiers went to arrest Jesus, they all fell flat on their faces before him. One day, the entire world will set itself against Jesus. But sooner or later, those who set themselves against him will find themselves on their faces before him. Because God gives us the right to choose Jesus as Savior or to reject him. But he gives us no right to choose whether or not we will acknowledge him as Lord. Listen to me. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Ann Graham Lotz. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. All right, welcome back to the second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show, a show where we like to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. By the way, the order of that is not an accident. We are committed to the believer first. We want uh, we acknowledge that our listenership is made up of believers, so we do want to challenge the believer first. So, so we go to the believer, and then we challenge the thinkers to believe. So that there's no accident how those two came together, right? <laughs> um, so we've been talking about cancel culture, and uh, I have with me my good ministry partners, Jacob and Lenny, and uh, it's been fun so far, gentlemen. Uh, so I, I made mention of Jacob's talk, and if you listen uh, in the beginning, uh, Jacob tells you where to find that talk. But in uh, one, one of the themes I picked up, Jacob, on that is, and I love that you're saying this. We talked about this uh, on our drive here to the show, that you're more American than some of our American friends, you know. Uh, Jacob Daniel is from India. Uh, and uh, you've been living here for nine years. Nine years yep. now. And so it's yeah. been a pleasure getting to know you all that time. And uh, But Jacob is an astute observer of the West and a deep admirer of it. I I can say the same thing for me. I grew up in the Philippines, mm-hmm. all right? Uh, I know for sure I'm more American than some of the native, you know, folks who were b- born and raised here, no Except doubt. Except when it comes to partying. Okay, that, there you go. Then I'm more Filipino that way. <laughs> uh, and, and, so, and, and so I love the fact that you, uh, you, you have that background. Uh, but you mentioned in your talk that 
the West is definitely wedded to the old traditional forms of tolerance by which ideas are discussed and debated with no fear of shame or harm. Do you want to uh, elucidate us a little bit on that, expand on that a little bit? Yes, uh, and as you mentioned, coming from an Eastern uh, con- context, uh, basically, and growing up there uh, in a collectivistic framework, particularly, and coming to the West, which is predominantly an individualistic culture, it becomes very obvious that here, um, I, I give the example of vines and trellis, you know, uh, the, the whole moral imagination of the collective is built on the trellis of guilt and innocence framework, uh, which I believe, uh, along with Ruth Benedict, who was an anthropologist, that it was a gift of biblical Judeo-Christian uh, values and principle, you know, the, the scriptures that built this framework of guilt and innocence. So with guilt and innocence, what happens is that there is this possibility of forgiveness, restoration, not at the expense of retributive justice or distributive justice, but there is a possibility of restorative justice that happens through the way of forgiveness. Um, um, so if, if, if you look at the Western world, you know, our moral imagination is built upon this trellis. And where we are today is that we have dismantled this trellis and we have adopted a new trellis on which we are building up this new moral imagination. And the, the trellis is honor and shame, which is more from a collectivistic worldview. So I see it growing up in India. It was very much obvious everywhere. It was all about honor and shame, uh, again, built on the foundation of the, the whole power grab, you know, a hierarchical system. Yeah where some had power, some didn't have power. Um, so what happens in that kind of framework is that you don't engage at the level of ideas because what matters there is honor. So say if I belong to a group and you belong to some other group, you come and bring any sort of uh, dishonor to me personally or to my group, the only possibility existing is for me to either uh, disown you uh, or excommunicate you and that's the very thing which we are seeing in, in the Western world in the right. form of canceling people. There is no possibility of you and me sitting together and talking out things. There is no possibility of that. Yeah. There is no way you can actually become part of or come back to a place of restoration. Do you think that some of this is because uh, of maybe human movement in history? Maybe there's a lot of... Uh, you know, influence now from the East. Uh, literally, we have people now here, and we have the West has now adopted e- e- the Eastern way of thinking. You think some of that is? I would true? say that that is just one of the factors, not the only uh, origins of cancel culture. Right? There are many other factors. While I do talk about in my talk in terms of like how it was. Uh, getting into the the whole academia through the whole critical race theory, not just critical race theory, but critical theory and the daughter theories. Uh, but, but definitely the Eastern world has had a lot of influence, especially during the time of like 60s and 70s. Uh, it was capturing the cultural mindset of people, right? The collective existence in terms of like defining what the culture was like, informing it uh, through Eastern values. Basically the idea of... Uh, uh, people being identified not merely on the basis of their equal dignity, but on their particularities, right? So, you had to find truth for your own self. Yeah. You had to fight and gain value for your own self. Yeah. And that has led, led us to a place where we are today. So uh, I would even say this. 
if we are not careful here in the west the west will soon look hindu in many ways it is already mm-hmm. right these values and ideas that are coming about here from the east uh, and people are just adopting it without questioning it yeah. and dismantling the old trellis of guilt and innocence sure. that provides for dignity culture whereas the honor and shame cultures produces victim yeah. culture yeah uh, all cultures need some kind of moral compass upon which to operate uh, some agreed set of principles that people can right so for example in driving we've all agreed that driving on the right hand side of the road is the proper thing to do in the uk that's not necessarily the case they agreed to drive on the left hand side of the road if you buck that in either system if you come from the uk matter of fact i had a high school teacher biology teacher who visited britain and made a uh, left turn, and she just naturally pulled into the right-hand lane because that's what she was used to and got hit head-on. It was a bad bad accident for her. Um, she lapsed. Now, it's not that she was evil, right? Uh, it's that she was operating in a, cult- a different cultural milieu. All cultures need something in order to maintain order. The default when I look across the cultural spectrum, and it's not merely the East, the Greeks were an honor-shame culture. The Romans were an honor-shame culture. The, the, the honor came from being part of the polis. You mm. did what you did in, in uh, deference to the city and the city gods. You can be a Christian. You just offer the offerings to Athena in Ephesus, and you can do whatever else you want. But the Christians couldn't do that. They couldn't offer offerings to Athena in Ephesus or Artemis. Um, it depends on, you know, Greek or Roman <laughs> God. So, uh, and when they did that, they were canceled, right? That's true in the New World as well. That's true in Japan. We talk about the, the, the cliche of you brought dishonor to the family, you have to cut off your pinky finger. Mm. That's true in the Muslim world. A woman who is raped, a young girl who is raped, brings dishonor to her family and is many times ostracized because she is no longer a virgin through no fault of her own. But the honor-shame culture in Islam in those countries throws her out and, and again, ostracizes her. This is the default, the, the least common denominator that makes it easy for cultures to operate as long as there's some kind of honor uh, by which we all feel like should be upheld. Hmm. And that's the thing that concerns me. Guilt, innocence, the Christian point of view, it's why the Christians were burned and thrown to the lions. It's why Jesus was ostracized and taken as a rebel. And it's why Christianity was even, we just had St. Patrick's Day, and Patrick was made fun of. He was, he was enslaved, and he came back to preach the gospel to those who captured and enslaved him. That's nuts, right? Why? Because he understood that the image of God was there for all people. But the point being, that's harder. That's maturity. It's almost like a young kid will default to, we all want to do, yeah, right, yeah, remember, hey, it's my ball, we're going to play my game. Remember that, right? That, mm-hmm. That's a childish view, and yeah. that's what cancel culture does. It's my ball, I'm going to play my game. It takes an adult to say, let's approach this a different way to make sure that everybody's included. 
Cancel culture is the easy way out. It's the default. C.S. Lewis said that we have appetites. We have our head that comes up with ideas. But our society today is missing men with chests. We are Mm. men without chests. And we need that. And I think it takes bravery to stand up and say, I know you're going to tell me that this is wrong, but it's... Yeah, and men with chests are men who work out with truth. Right. They need to work out with truth and develop that chest, right? I I think what happens in honor and shame culture is that truth gets uh, uh, completely ignored. The the central aspect... Yeah, it's not in the question. That's why here in the West also, within the cancel culture, we are no more engaging with facts and evidences... Right, because it concerns with truth. Yeah. It requires you to act. It demands that you actually submit to the truth and go wherever it leads. Yeah. And, and truth itself is canceled now yeah. in our culture, and and it's uh, couched under uh, even some racial overtone. So if if you demand truth, you might be bigoted, or you you might be accused of being a racist. And this is a kind of like form of pluralism as well, within the religious pluralism, right? What we have done is that as Christians, we need to be very careful when we to adopt this idea of pluralism, right? What we are making a claim is actually we are promoting the very religion of ignorance. We are saying yeah. that I don't know enough about the other, that I can't make a truth claim about my own convictions. Yeah. It's laziness. Yes. Yeah. Now, again, uh, so I, I want to refer our listeners to Cynical Theories. It's a good book. Pluck Rose and uh, Lindsay. Yeah, it takes um, on takes on critical theory. It does specifically. It does. And, and again, uh, I was uh, happily, pleasantly surprised that they <clears throat> discussed the whole idea of postmodernism. I thought that had died. Uh, many decades ago. It died in the philosophy departments. It was alive through English literature, and and what happens is what you would call the grievance studies guys had had uh, found it, it that didn't it die was, there, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and they were always considered the fringe social groups until they started becoming part of the administration of most uh, colleges and universities, and yeah. that's where it really changed. And, and so I mentioned that because uh, moral relativism is back on the table again. You know, yeah. it's it's something that we can discuss and talk about because it makes a lot of sense. It explains uh, the basis for cancel culture. So you're mentioning um, the idea of truth when there's no basis anymore or no standard by which we can form our arguments. Then there. Civil discourse mm-hmm. stops because there's no no other what other recourse do you yeah. have right except just tune people out or just just fight each other and and that's where personally I am scared that that is the next step yeah now. and and I, I, let me also say this let's not be naive to think that uh, people who are pushing this at higher level or not out of ignorance, right? I mean, there might be people who are actually doing it just emotionally. But I definitely believe that there is an attempt here to go along with the absurdity. And I was talking to you about this, uh, and I heard Douglas Wilson talk about this. Uh, he says that it, it's an attempt to actually lead us to a place of absurdity. And when the, the mass, they give in to that absurdity, that's when we would know that they are definitely under control. It's not only that which they accept as true, but when they accept the absurdity of an idea or, or a thought or an action, that's when we know that they have given into a collective mood 
right? A collective right. culture. And here in this cancel culture, we are seeing exactly the same, that people are not concerned now with, in terms of the validity of the argument or the action or the truth behind it, but even ready to actually accept so, the absurdity. So ab- absurdity such as um, your body producing puberty hormones is a, a violation of a person's autonomy. Hmm. That's, there's a good... There's yes. a good example where we need to stop that mm. until we're such time as that's that's an absurd idea. That's child abuse, literally. You're you're inhibiting the natural function of a person's biology. And also canceling. We were talking about this: canceling words, meaning yes. behind words, right? Uh, man doesn't mean man anymore, or woman right. doesn't mean women. We have to remove all kind of disparity between words, and uh, you know just bring them together and mix them together in well, a way that they lose their uh, objective meaning. Behind yeah, it. or, or we, we uh, tie it with uh, absurd epithets like cis, hmm. where cis man or cis woman, which means nothing because what you're saying is a cis man is a man who acts like a man. There's, you're, you're, it's self-referential, so it's, so it's redundant. And that, that's a problem. But yeah, it, it, this is part of the problem with cancel culture is when you try to engage folks with this though what you don't hear is well here's why what you hear is shut up mm-hmm. yeah. and and that should be a red flag and that's the biggest concern and that's and i think we need to say this that's not only those on the progressive or on the left that mm-hmm. is my social media feeds are filled with church people who are saying shut up to those on the other side of either a political spectrum, moral spectrum, medical spectrum, whatever the case may be, yeah. uh, because they don't want to hear it either. We're, can't, we're using the church to cancel other people. Yeah, I think uh, maybe I should mention this here. I think there'd been a progression here. And there, uh, there is something that I've been pushing through uh, uh, my talks and my engagement in terms of ministry is this. There'd been a movement in terms of like from making our society a, a sacred public square mm. everything has to have a label made by christians or made for jesus or, yeah right and then from moving there to a naked public square that osginis talks about um uh, everything has to be naked of anything religious Neutral. keep your religion private yeah. and yeah. then there came the civil public square the whole idea of no 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 let's bring these ideas together and engage let's build bridges but all this while what's been happening was christians were the ones crossing the bridge and right. going on the other side. What we need is an authentic public square. As go. Christians, we stand together, we fight for the truth, not compromise, not apologize for the truth and the conviction that we have about it. That's what we need. And that's the antidote, I believe, uh, to the whole cancel culture. And that's a good segue, Jacob, to uh, you know, the, our next section. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about practical steps mm-hmm. moving forward. What is the church to do now? And uh, we believe, at least the three of us, I believe, are we all are convinced that this is a critical hour, you know. And uh, if we don't act now, it might be too late. Um, so what 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 are we to do? What are some of the solutions? We know the problem. We know that uh, postmodernism doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, so what should um, wise men and women do? I think the first thing that we should do is to. A, recognize the fact that all human beings bear the Imago Dei. Hmm. No matter what their position, no matter how much you disagree with them, they still have the image of God 
as intrinsic to them as human beings. And therefore, we should be able to approach them as charitably as possible. Now, this, I think, takes practice. I don't mm. think this comes naturally, and I think we have to practice this. And let me, let, here, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's try a practice question. Mm. You ready? Ready. This is a tough one. <laughs> Was there anything good or virtuous about Hitler? There's a good question. Is he a human being? Did he bear the image of God? Did he do anything good for the German people or for the world at large? And, and maybe you'll say, yeah, he gave us the ultimate example of evil that we can always throw up and call somebody, right? <laughs> now we have the name Hitler to label everybody. No, let's try. But you see, there's a good example. Can you be charitable enough to say maybe Hitler loved his mother? Hmm. Maybe he helped the German people come out of the worst depression that they had seen. You know, are there things beyond the caricature that we spun of him? But that kind of practice, then it's much easier to say, are there good things about my neighbor that I disagree with, right? Because he's got the wrong political sign in his front yard. (laughs) A whole lot easier to do that than this question. So I think practice helps. And I think while we're doing it uh, regarding others, with our own self, I think what we should be careful is that we should reject any attempt to absolutize one aspect of our experience and take it as the explanatory principle for everything else, Right. Race is not the only lens through which sure. I would see all of my life and define because I've had some experience, racist experiences in my past. Mm-hmm. We've all had different experiences that we can complain about and have grievances about, but we can't define all of our life because of that. Uh, and I think, uh, as I already mentioned, that we have to stop apologizing for the truth, Yeah, especially in the social media and other places, right? We have to fight with conviction and not reconcile with the oblivion because what these ideologies and theories are offering is not even a promise. They are trying to deal with our current situation, but not offering us a place or leading us to a place of flourishing. They're not even doing that. Even if they're doing it, there is no guarantee as to that they would do. So there is no point in actually uh, submitting or uh, succumbing to such oblivion. And I would say that... Uh, we have to not do one more thing, is falsify our preferences, right? Because we've been doing that for some time now. One of the examples I give is like during the Trump, the, the election that he had the first time when he was elected president. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people I was engaging with. I knew that they supported Trump, but they were falsifying their preferences. They would not open it clearly and mention oh, about that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't claim it. They wouldn't claim I it, see. right? Because there were many factors that, uh, that were around that kept them from right. actually stating their preferences. But in that, they had a privilege of going without anyone knowing and voting. Mm. And they could actually correct their preferences. Whereas in matters like this, like cancel culture and other things that they are actually falsifying their preferences... They have no voting rights or any rights to actually bring culture back to its right, right. right sense, if I may put it that way. Right? So they, we can't afford to falsify preferences anymore. We have to fight for the truth. And let me say this. Every parent has a responsibility today, especially with regards to cancel culture that we are talking about. Yes, we are called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's because whatever has the image of Caesar must go to Caesar. 
but whatever has the image of God must go to God. And we should be asking, who are we offering our children to mm. who bear the image of God? Who is educating them? Who is training them? Who is preparing them? Who is speaking truth into their lives? And who are they following? So every parent has a responsibility, I believe, to step in and cancel the cancel culture. Yeah, I, I believe uh, nowadays that uh, it's up to the parents. Uh, the pressure yeah. is on them because the next generation uh, just cannot bear all the craziness that's going on right now. Maybe that could be a topic for another show. Mm-hmm. Uh, forms of schooling or what uh, you know what are some of the main issues to think about uh, for, uh when it comes to your child's education uh i know that's a big theme for me personally um but anyways uh yeah so we we know the problem we know the solutions that the secularists uh offer are no good it doesn't work and so some of some of the solutions you mentioned are good there, uh, Jacob. I know this came out of your talk, and uh, it would be nice to it would be nice to revisit that for our listeners. Um, you know, I wanted to end with this. Actually, uh, I can't get away from this quote. Uh, it's in D. A. Carson's book, "The Intolerance of Tolerance." He wrote it several years ago, but here he's quoting Joseph Bottom. All right, that's his name. Now it, th- this pertains to a lot of the things that we see in media, in the news, little, uh, you know, reports here and there. And this is what the author is saying. It's a nudge here and a shove there, a push from one side and a kick from another, little things for the most part. And surprisingly, often the perpetrators retreat when directly challenged, but only to watch someone else step in to take their place. So the California court penalizes doctors for referring a patient to another clinic because they didn't want to perform in vitro fertilization for an unmarried couple. A state representative in Connecticut submits legislation that would force the Catholic Church to divest itself of its parishes. A judge in Montana decides that the health care providers are required to arrange for euthanasia when a patient requires it. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission rules against a college in North Carolina for attempting not to provide its employees with health insurance that covers contraception. A charity in Massachusetts is forced out of the adoption business. The Ninth Circuit attempts to compel a park to remove a memorial cross rather than trade the land with the cross into private hands. A New Hampshire divorce court orders a Christian mother to stop homeschooling because her daughter appeared to reflect her mother's rigidity on questions of faith. The president allows a diminished form of funding for faith-based institutions to continue, but only if these religious organizations stop hiring on the basis of their religion. An Illinois druggist is ordered to, to dispense abortifacients or to close his business. The blizzard of lawsuits to ban Christmas displays is beginning to fall on us once again. The most bizarre of the nation's holiday traditions. Not one of these is a vital wound to the practice of American religion. I'm going to stop there. But you see, it's just the little things. And if we allow it to continue, we're going to find ourselves in a position where laws are generated 
and we've become so uh, paralyzed through the whole process. We become so numb that we no longer recognize what good society or good culture looks like, and we just acquiesce. And so that that is unfortunately where uh, put, uh, potentially we find ourselves in. So. You've been listening to Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. Special thanks to my panel this evening, Jacob, Lenny, and to our behind-the-scenes sound engineer. Special thank you to our listeners. So until next time, good night.